Thank you. Good evening, everyone. Um, welcome to this meeting of the Traffic Safety Committee. Um, I'm going to just read a, a starting statement here. Um, this open meeting of the Traffic Safety Committee is being conducted remotely pursuant to Chapter 2 of the Acts of 2023, an act relative to extending certain COVID-19 measures adopted during the state of emergency, signed into law on March 19th, 2023. All members of the Traffic Safety Committee are allowed and encouraged to participate remotely. The act allows for the Traffic Safety Committee to meet entirely remotely so long as reasonable public access is afforded so that the public can follow along with the deliberations of the meeting. The public is encouraged to follow along using the posted agenda unless the chair notes otherwise. Members of the public who wish to view the live stream to this meeting may do so by going to Northboro Remote Meetings on YouTube via the link listed in the agenda. Ensuring public access does not ensure public participation unless such participa participation is required by law. This meeting will feature public comment. Members, when I call your name, please respond in the affirmative. Uh, Rachel? Here. Kate? Here. Chris? Here. Brian? Here. And staff, when I call your name, please respond in the affirmative. Scott? Present. Chief Liver? Present. Megan? Here. Okay, a few ground rules here. Um, the chair will invite each speaker or applicant on the agenda by name to make a presentation and speak to their application. Um, participants will provide their full name and hold until their name is called. Each speaker will be asked to mute their phone or computer when not speaking and to speak clearly and in a way that helps generate accurate meeting minutes. Those responding will be asked to wait until the floor is yielded to them by the chair. Speakers who wish to uh, respond to the comments of others do so through the chair, taking care to identify themselves. Uh, for members of the public, um, the chair will afford public comment as follows. By phone, dial num uh, star nine to raise your hand and wait to be recognized by the chair. Please note that part of your phone number will be visible to those viewing the meeting. By Zoom, click raise hand on the button on your screen and wait to be recognized by the chair. The chair will ask each member of the public who wishes to speak to identify their name and address only. Once the chair has, has a list of all public commenters, the chair will call each by name and afford three minutes for any comments. Um, so we are gonna change around the agenda a little bit. Um, Chief Liver has a commitment that he has to get to. So um, we're going to move that. Actually, I'm going to bump that up to the first item. Um, so um, Chief Liver, if you are ready, sir. Nope. You're still on mute. Uh, well, thanks. Uh, I, based on the conversation that uh, we had had, one of the comments that you made was that you were aware that I had uh, made a comment that I had been asking in a supplemental budget request for a while to hire two additional police officers uh, with the intent to start a traffic enforcement unit. Um, I, I want to make it clear that every police officer on this department knows that our one of our priority uh, quality of life issues that we had address here in Northboro is traffic complaints. Um, we can't be everywhere at every time. And it's, uh, 
Traffic enforcement is well, a priority. It takes a backseat to 911 calls, medical emergencies, um, traffic arrests, um, and other patrol activities uh, and calls for service. And we, on the day shift, usually have no more than a, a, a patrol supervisor and two officers. And it leaves them very little time, or shall I say, uncommitted time, uh, to do proactive things that I wish we could do more of, such as traffic enforcement. Um, and my goal was, I don't think I'll see it come to fruition, unless it happens before December 31st, which it isn't, um, is to attempt to get two additional officers to bolster our traffic enforcement and uh, with the dedicated traffic enforcement officers. And that doesn't mean we're going to hire two people and that's all you're going to do is traffic. It's two positions that will allow us to have a person. I, uh, I'm, I'm looking at between six in the morning and two in the afternoon and say noon uh, until six. There was a little bit of overlap midday. Um, and that would give us almost uh, well close at least 14 hours of dedicated traffic enforcement where one officer on the day shift and into the four to two, uh, actually it would be the midnight shift as well uh, the last couple hours of that shift which is the peak start of our morning commute traffic uh, and then in the evening uh, that would provide coverage there uh, and one officer that with adding one to uh, on each of the, the ends of the day, daytime period would let us would allow us to have the two scheduled offices and the supervisor and then one officer that's not allocated to taking calls that function would be for the eight hours that day is to do traffic enforcement and that would allow us to uh, actually be effective with our step program which is a selective traffic enforcement program and that takes into account uh, citizen complaints requests for enforcement and more heavily, it's based on where have we had accidents and what are the causal factors of the accident. So one of my supervisors in charge of my traffic programs, and he does a quarterly review of all crashes and accidents and updates a list where accidents are happening, what are the, uh, the, the, the more common causes, and at what time of the day, during the day, they happen. And we do a chart with locations and times where if offices have uncommitted time, that's where they're supposed to be. Uh, so that would really complement that program and actually make it much more effective because again, as it stands now, it's the officers are expected to do that time permitting. So, and I would, I'm not going to mislead anybody here. The fact that we'd have an extra body, I don't want to use the word extra because we never have extra here, no matter what shift it is, um, is, um, if that officer is say, doing traffic enforcement on Bartow Street at Lyman and a medical emergency comes out of the high school, he's not going to sit there and not go. And when they're close, they're going. And it would be for like higher priority calls. I'm not going to have someone sitting there running a radar when I get an officer yelling for a backup uh, or, you know, a high risk call. So, but that would be, it would be made very clear that that's the, the intent and the assignment for those offices during that time period is traffic enforcement.
um, it's sorely needed. Um, and it's, uh, when, when the conversations shift to staffing, it's a difficult subject. Uh, right. it, 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 obviously it's expensive, yep. but, uh, I think that that is probably the most proactive way that we can address the complaints that we have. Um, again, every officer when they're working is expected to do traffic enforcement and that would not alleviate the other people working days from doing that as well uh or either one of those two shifts um because they they well they know what my expectation is i expect aggressive traffic enforcement and on average we do over 500 citations a month um and that's with just what we have now that's not with dedicated personnel so that would one of my thoughts was <laughs> that this committee kind of kicked that around and if it's something that might want to be uh, uh, one of the recommendations to the board, you know, that would be, uh, you know, great support to the uh, police department's efforts. But I think it's a direct way to address a lot of the residents' concerns. Right. No, I completely agree. You had brought this up um, when we were first even just talking about this committee. Um, I remember you bringing it up in that last meeting. Um, and then you brought it up again in the first one, which sort of, you know, brought it to the front of my mind. So I wanted to make sure that we got this, got this out there. I do agree. To me, enforcement, you can't have any rules without enforcement, right? Um, you know, then they're not rules, they're guidelines. And um, so, you know, I, for one, wholeheartedly would, would you know, agree with this i think a lot of the things on our list and a lot of the things i see on social media and a lot of the the complaints we receive um i think would be resolved with this my only question would be um i know you'd have the two officers is, is there additional vehicles that would need to be part of this as well or no. you think you have enough vehicles for, to handle this um we we have enough okay yeah, yeah. It, it would put a little extra mileage on a couple of the cars but we actually have two dedicated traffic fields because they're both unmarked. Um, I mean, they're they're set up like a cruiser. They have cages and everything else in them. And they got antennas on the roof. But, you know, one's an Explorer and one's an F-150. Right. Uh, the F-150 is like shooting ducks in a pond. So. <laughs> <laughs> uh, there are any other members who um, have any comments on this? Uh, Bill, I'd just like to reiterate with you, what you said. I, I have worked with um, towns that have... Um, traffic dedicated traffic and, and safety officers and um the the knowledge they brought to certain projects it, it was it was unmatchable honestly and you know it, it just it was very they had a lot of less uh traffic and safety issues because of the dedication to it if someone was able to be there yeah. so I, uh, I support it as well thank you yeah. rachel um i uh, totally agree we you know me from Bartlett, we, enforcement is a huge issue for us, so I won't beat a dead horse with that. I guess my question is, the Chief, I don't know if you've had a chance to look at the agenda. Are there areas of, in town that you're concerned about from an accident standpoint? And are there things we can do besides staffing, whether it's signage or redesign to sort of practically? Yeah. Uh, I mean, the, the, our, our data doesn't doesn't lie it's the accidents are where the accidents are and the hot spots in town are church street main street hudson street south street in that order um and those are accidents that usually result in significant property damage 
and or personal injury. Uh, there are other accidents on other streets. When you look at the statistics, it's like, oh, yes, there might have been five at Lyman Street at Bartlett Street. But they're usually rear-end collisions. People stopping at the stop sign, starting to pull out, and the car behind them pulls out, and the first car stops, and it's a, you know, it's a fender bender. But it's still recorded as an accident. Um, and um, the aqueduct causes the uh, statistics on Hudson Street to go up. <laughs> Um, the, the bridge has never been raised, nor the street lowered. And the, uh, I just don't know why a professional truck driver driving a, you know, 11 foot high box can't read a sign that says 10 feet. And, uh, you know, they, they, you just can't fix stupid, I guess, sometimes. But, uh, well, they so, can't do it in Westboro either. <laughs> no, yeah, Westboro, yeah Westboro as well. So. Yeah. Uh, but but those those are the areas, you know, it clearly, yes. Would I like to spend more time down on Bartlett Street? Yes, you know, and that's not just because you're on a regional. <laughs> uh, I'm sensitive to the concerns down there. You know, I, I do believe it has gotten much better. I think the the number of trucks have, cons well, a certain company's trucks have dropped off considerably. Um, and well, I shouldn't say that the drivers, the contract drivers from other companies that deliver to that uh, company have through through education from the vent from the, the from the business um has uh resulted in a lot of the i think a significant drop i, I mean you know I, I go down there and i sit there because i'm not going to talk about something that i haven't gone down and looked at firsthand um and like i said it, it still needs to be done because the speeds on by street are too fast so. No, I, I agree. I, I just, you know, Bartlett Street, is, even though it's near and dear to my heart, is not the only place in town. So sort of overlaying the accident data with the agenda would sort of help us prioritize in terms of the areas that we need to concentrate on. Yep. That was just my. Okay. Yeah. And I think it, it, to, to Rachel's point, I think at some point we will want to, you know, request that data, um, you know, on an ongoing basis from, from you and your department. Um, yeah, I, I had uh, actually started to print it up, and I thought that uh, I could uh, maybe through Scott is uh, forward that info to him, and he can share it with the committee. That would uh, be great. So that you'll have uh, – it's very easy. It, it only takes me a few minutes. I just put in accidents, you know, <laughs> and I put town-wide, and it gives a chart and a graph and lists of streets and the number of accidents and then what caused – what the violations were, um, if, if there were any uh, – I can do the same thing with citations, how many citations on the street, uh, you know, uh, things like that. But um, which I would have to explain because the way we classify things doesn't always reflect what the actual action was. So because we have verbal warnings, written warnings, we have non-investigated crashes. We have so it's it's uh, I'd have to give you an explanation so you, you could actually figure out what the actual picture was. Yeah, it's just the way our software works. Um, go ahead, Brian. Sorry, I forgot I was muted. Always happy. <laughs> Thank you, uh, Chief. I was also going to request the accident data, but uh, so I'm not too repetitive. Can we talk about the citation data for a second? Sure. I know you. I know you said you're leaving at the end of December. Um, would it be possible for? I forget. Do we have a meeting in December or no? We are doing monthly meetings, so there oh, will okay. be one in December. Yes. Right. Okay. 
I mean, would it be possible to go over some of to do that sort of introduction to the data then? Or is that too quick a turnaround? No, God, no. For, for the next meeting? Yeah. No, that'd be that. I, I mean, you wait 10 minutes, I'll give it to you now. <laughs> it's like, um, uh, yeah, we can definitely do it. Sweet. Um, the only other question I had um, was sort of the things you've been doing for enforcement now. Like, I know that there was a, uh, a radar uh, yeah. trailer. Board. Thank you. Over on uh, Summer Street by the railroad tracks. Um, just have you know, like, what statistics do we have on what, if any, effects those had on? They have an immediate effect on the cars that are going too fast. When they see the sign flash, your speed is 45 and the speed limit on Summer Street is 25. Right. Um, and you can see what, you know, I always referred to as the dip. The front end goes down. <laughs> and people slow down and they stay slow for a little while they get past the sign they look around there's no police around and they usually go back up to where they were but on summer street by the time they get to church street where that sign is located it pretty much keeps them down it does dampen the traffic i i've watched it firsthand it's happened to me um so uh <laughs> you know we all get carried away sometimes so i, I know when i come into church uh, into work on church street some days and they got the sign right up by crawford you're coming off at 290 and you hit a 35 mile an hour speed zone. And it's like, oh, yeah, there's the sign. So, so yeah, <laughs> it's not good for me to do that. So, but uh, yeah, we're all human. Uh, Honesty is important. Yeah. I do it all the time. I'm not going to lie. Thank That's all I had. Okay. Thank you, Brian. Um, Kate, I know you had your hand up there for a second. Yeah. I don't know where, where it went. Um, <laughs> Um, thank you. Yeah. I mean, obviously, I'm a huge supporter of the police department. I don't think that's a secret to anybody. Um, but I did just want to point out that I did a little looking around online today and found a number of departments that um, are in towns that are the same size as Northborough or similar who have dedicated traffic um, mm -hmm. enforcement officers. So I think yep. it's a great idea. It's not like it's a new subject. No, and it's, <laughs> and it's not like there are enough police officers in town either. So, yeah. Right. Great. Appreciate it. Thank you, Chief. I appreciate your time. Um, you I, know. I have a little time to stick around in case something. Okay. Else. Whenever you need to drop, that's fine. Appreciate Thank it. you. Okay. Uh, next item on oh, our... Sorry, Chair, if I may. Yes. Yes, sir. Uh, for the December meeting, I would like to have uh well i i, I don't even want to i hesitate to call him lieutenant griffin uh, <laughs> but join the meeting as well since uh he's going to be uh, uh taking my place absolutely so he, he needs to meet you all and know what we're talking about and uh i he had an obligation tonight as well so um but thank you yep no definitely um and you know Sorry to see you go, but I hope you enjoy your retirement. It's well-deserved and well-earned. That's 46 years in the company. Wow. Congratulations. Thank you. Um, okay. Um, next item is approval of the October 17th, 2023 minutes. Um, did anyone have any amendments or changes they needed to make to the minutes? 
No? Did everyone get a chance to look at the minutes? Yes. Yeah. Okay. Um, can I have a motion to approve the minutes? Motion to approve the minutes, Mr. Chair. Is there a second? Second. Uh, roll call vote. Uh, Rachel. Aye. Kate. Aye. Chris. Aye. Brian. Aye. And I'm an aye. That is unanimous. Thank you. <clears throat> okay, now we get into the meat of the, the meeting. Um, so um, this is going to be a little awkward or a little different um, only because this is our first time going through this. So I appreciate everyone who put in um, something for us to go over. Um, I know that there is a lot of pent up demand for traffic issues here in town. Um, you know, that was that was the reason for the committee being created in the in the beginning. Um, so what I am going to ask is we'll go through each of these uh, one at a time. If you are the person who submitted it or you want to speak to it, uh, to the item, I would say, you know, raise your hand. I think it's star nine if you're on a phone or in the Zoom meeting. We'll try to call in as many as humanly possible. Um, I would ask that, um, you know, we keep the comments per person to, to about three minutes so that we can give everyone a chance to, to talk about each item. Um, and we'll try to to keep it you know i'm thinking we keep it to like three to three to five people at most most for each item um i don't want to go an hour long on each one of these items we'll never get through it um and then um what i'm going to ask is that um chief laver if you're here or um scott um just give us your i you know you are the professionals, right? You're the staff, you're the ones who know about these items. And so we're gonna rely on you on our, is, is it feasible? Is it something that the town can legally do? Because if it's something we can't legally do, then you know it, it moves it a little bit lower in the priority list um, because then we've got to change laws, which is not something I think this committee is gonna be able to do very quickly. So. Um, so no, we're going to any of us can get the legislature to do quickly <laughs> on anything. <laughs> That's very true. Um, so, you know, so we're going to rely on you to, to sort of guide us on that. Um, and I think that's all I have to say on that. Uh, Chris. Yeah, I think you kind of hit it on the nose. Um, you know, with a lot of these requests, there is a lot of engineering studies that go in behind it. Um, that, you know, different traffic signal warrants, stop sign warrants and stuff like that. So it's usually not as easy as just in, in traffic signals are very expensive to install. Um, so it's just something we kind of got to keep in mind here. Yeah, we can't, um, we're not going to have the authority really around and traffic signals or whatever. And I know the DOT has uh, a new intersection control uh, evaluation that every state owned intersection, if you're changing like a connecting road to the intersection that that would have to go through. So it, it is, it is a process and it is something that we'll, we're going to have to consider. Right. Yeah. And I think this is going to be an education for us as well as an education for, you know, everyone putting in requests um, as you know, and we're all going to be learning. So, 
with that being said, I guess we'll get to the first one. So the first one was a request for a, and actually there are three here with the same type of requests uh, for a heavy commercial vehicle exclusion uh, for Summer Street. So uh, I can go over this quickly and just to echo uh, or to expand on something that Chris indicated um, in Northboro, just because it's a state numbered route doesn't mean it's a state highway. We have uh, Main Street, Route 20 throughout town, including Southwest Cutoff and West Main Street are state owned roads and West Main Street from Times Square over toward Wood Hill. That's also a state owned road. So those are uh, uh, the state owned roads, South Street. Route 135 is not a state-owned road. That is a, a state-numbered, locally-owned road. Um, so just to kind of put it in context on what Chris outlined about regulatory limitations we have. Okay. Um, so we do have three heavy commercial, heavy commercial vehicle exclusion requests on the agenda. Uh, there are federal uh, and state-mandated um, criteria to get a heavy commercial vehicle exclusion, truck exclusion, uh, for uh, some flight. You need to have between five and 8% of the, the traffic on that roadway to be heavy commercial vehicles. And there are specific uh, MUTCD classifications for those vehicle sizes. Um, and when you've met that threshold, there are other criteria that need to be met. You need to provide an alternative route. Um, that alternative route needs to either be in solely in your community on a state uh, owned road, or if it goes into another community, you need the other community's approval to allow you to divert all your trucks onto their roads. Um, that is not a very common uh, achievement anywhere. So um, there is an engineering study required in order to determine whether the truck exclusion is um, allowed to even be considered. The process is that you do the engineering study. It determines, if it determines it's allowed, you then go to the Board of Selectmen. The Board of Selectmen uh, approves uh, application to MassDOT to consider a heavy commercial vehicle exclusion. MassDOT says yes, one is allowed, and we are willing to uh, authorize it. And then the Board of Selectmen um, uh, implements it, and MassDOT sends you the signs, you put them up, and then you have a truck exclusion. So that's the process. It's a long process. Um, so the first item is uh, Summer Street. We did engage uh, Central Mass Regional Planning Commission to do traffic counts on Summer Street. Um, they give us free traffic counts. Generally, it's two sets of counts a year. Um, we got those counts, gave them to an engineering consultant to develop a, 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 a engineering study on whether it's warranted there. It did meet the percentage criteria, and the study does outline, I mean, the obvious alternate route is just keep going 135 to 20 or 20 to 135. Everybody knows that. Um, but we had questions and concerns about the turning radius for uh, tractor trailers at 135, taking a right onto 20. Um, it fits, believe it or not, um, by the by the skin of your teeth. But you don't have to cross the double yellow in either direction. At a signalized intersection, you, you can't be doing that. So it does fit. Um, so that would be something that uh, this committee could uh, consider and advise the Board of Selectmen on what... Um, what their thoughts are and opinions on that uh, truck exclusion. We've had a couple of requests um, from residents for uh, for Summer Street. Okay. Um, I'll open it up to members of the committee. Uh, Brian. Sorry, thank you, Mr. Chair. Um, 
it seems to me that that's one of the that that's a route that Google Maps recommends to drivers. I'm, I'm guessing that's a large part of that problem. If you're coming from, say, the the area of town over by Barbarian or Route Nine, um, are there other route? You know what? Are there other routes like that on this list? I. It seems like that would cause a number of these headaches. Um, through the yeah, through the, through the chair, um, item C, Lincoln Street, that is likely a uh, a GPS route. If you're coming mm -hmm. off of um, 290 and you need to get on Route 20 westbound, mm -hmm. um, I'm guessing GPS would send you down Pleasant, down Lincoln, over mm -hmm. to 20, and mm -hmm. vice versa. Um, mm -hmm. So that that that's another one of those routes. I don't believe uh, the Rice Ave uh, item B on the agenda would be any GPS uh, shortcut. But that there's other reasons for that one I can discuss in a minute. Thank you. Welcome. Any other comments from members? Kate? Um, I just wanted to know if there was any consideration as to what the additional truck traffic might do to the already congested uh, center of town. No, we did not include um, a queuing analysis at that traffic light. Um, in order for us to do that, that would be a pretty extensive traffic count um, collection. That's a that's a complicated set of intersections. They're um, um, timed together, so that would require counts at Hudson Street, uh, West Main, West Main, West Main, Perfect. South, right. West Main, Church, West Main. Um, it would be a lot of counts. <laughs> So I think that would be my main concern. Um, I can certainly appreciate the residents on Summer Street not wanting trucks. I used to live in that area, so I'm familiar with it. I I would just be concerned about the additional traffic, um, especially in the afternoon, evening rush hour. To build, to build on that, um, Kate, is, is when you look at the turning radius, and I can send this. I mean, the, you know, you don't have to make a decision tonight. I can send you guys the reports. Um, in order for that tractor trailer to take a right from South Street onto Route 20, they take up both lanes. So that truck is in a optional left or right lane, which is the right lane. Only in Northport, you take a left and a right lane. Um, but when you're in that right lane, that tractor trailer needs to take over the left lane completely in order to make that turn onto a Main Street, uh, a right-hand curve. So. Like they always say, tractor trailers turn wide. Well, he takes over the entire lane. So that would be taking over for all of the vehicles that are going to turn left to go to 290 or the other direction on Route that, 20. That's correct. That that's that's the biggest queuing issue that I could have, I could see there. Yeah, and, and I think the other issue is that the um, you know that, that left lane is supposed to be left turn only. So that truck is moving into that left hand turn only lane. To make a right turn, they're allowed to do that, right? Have his blinker on, but people will still go. On yeah, the right people again. will still go right to the right of him. Right, that would be my concern. The, the problem is when he can't, like in the morning when he can't do that, he just sits there and sits there and sits there, and nobody's going to let him go when they're on the left lane taking a left because they got to get to Dunkey. So, <laughs> our new traffic safety officers could. <laughs> Put him at 4 West Main Street, Chief. Yeah. <laughs> Substation. 
Yeah. <laughs> so, um, oh, I'm sorry. Anything else on the South Street? Yeah, any South other Street? members? I would just add that they do trucks do turn right there now. It's it's it would probably be more uh, an increase, but yeah, I mean it's it's not like trucks don't come up there and don't turn right. I, I've seen them. Right. And most of them do turn left to, to access Church Street. Uh, Rachel, is and I'm is there any concern that they might um, be using like Brigham Street or, or School Street? Would they ever use then moves to different residential roads in that area instead of using 135? I don't. I don't know um, if I'm not. I'm not sure. I'm not sure if Brigham Street is going to be a. Uh, I think they would take Brigham Street once. I was just going to say, not never, never again. <laughs> I don't want to see a tractor trail coming the other way on Brigham Street. Right. I mean, that's my yeah. That, that's that's my concern. If they're just going to use a different residential road, you know, if we have this, that would just be my only concern about it. Right. I mean, I would think they would move go further up Route Nine to Lyman, but again, you know, we can't ask Westboro to do that. Right. Okay, I think if we're, are we done with this one? I just want to, one thing uh, that, even though you might have a heavy vehicle truck uh, exclusion, rather, um, that does not stop all trucks. Vehicles making deliveries, oil trucks, UPS trucks, right. landscape vehicles, it, it doesn't, you know, dump trucks. If you got a trailer truck making a delivery of uh, a moving van, picking up at a house, it's, you're exempt. Okay, good. Um, I guess we'll go on to, uh, is there, I don't see any members of the public with any hands up. So I guess we'll move on to the next one. Um, the um, Another heavy commercial vehicle exclusion for Rice Ave between Whitney and Allen. We had a request from uh, two residents previously one was a while back, and then one was a little more recent. Um, <clears throat> with concerns about truck traffic on Rice Ave, um, we asked CMR, uh, Central Mass Regional Planning Commission to do some traffic counts. They did two sets. They did one between um, between Whitney and Allen, and the other one between Allen and Colburn. Um, they required dual sets. So, for example, if we had done Summer Street, we needed to do both sides of Summer Street. Um, you don't want tractor trailers turning at that four-way. Right. So we got the counts. Uh, it met the 5% threshold. Again, we had an engineering study performed by the same firm that did the um, the Summer Street one. The one that's the thing that's complicated about this Rice Ave location is all the truck exclusions around it. So there's a truck exclusion on Whitney Street um, from uh, Church Street all the way up to um, uh, to Coolidge. So trucks can't go there. Um, there's a weight restriction on the bridge, on Whitney Street Bridge, right before Enzo's. There's a weight restriction there um, due to uh, the bridge capacity. Right. So if there was a truck exclusion on Rice Ave, when a truck comes up Winter Street, he can't go left, can't go right, can't go straight. So he just parks there, lives there, or he backs up down Winter Street, which is not a very comfortable road to be backing a tractor trailer down. 
Um, so the recommendation was you, you include Winter Street because that's logical. So a tractor trailer comes up Allen Street. Well, he's got nowhere to go. Can't go right. Can't go right. So you do a truck exclusion on Allen Street. And then you get one uh, coming up Colburn. But when he gets to Barefoot, he can't go right or left because he's going to hit a uh, weight restriction bridge. He's going to hit a truck exclusion the other direction. So you do Colburn as well. So this is one of the anomalies with truck exclusions that when you start looking at alternate routes and you have exclusions or weight restrictions elsewhere, you end up excluding an entire neighborhood uh, at times. And sometimes it's not a neighborhood. It's, it's, a, it's you know, a legitimate roadway. Um, tractor trailer on Hudson Street needs to take a, would have to, every one of them would have to take a left on that one. But again, I do have a study, a, a report that's prepared, and we can send it out to the committee for consideration. Um, it outlines all these criteria and limitations, um, but it's important to, for the um, for the committee to know there are implications on other roadways when this when this is considered. Yep, agreed. Um, I live on Whitney Street, um, so I'll hold my comments till the end. Uh, any members have comments about this? Scott, did, okay. sorry, go ahead. Go ahead, Rachel. The trucks that are going this way, are they doing that to avoid the aqueduct where they keep hitting the... Um... No, usually they come in down... Well, if they're inbound off 290, they're usually taking a left up onto Allen Street to East Main Street to get through 20 Ballard Street. Okay. If they're coming out of the center of town, they're not going to get very far. There's, they'd have to turn onto River Street. I think a lot of the trucks that um, were counted were um, more uh, local service vehicles, landscape trucks, um, box trucks, oil trucks. There really isn't a lot of commercial or commerce need on that roadway. Um, the counts ca uh, capture axles, so they don't really capture, you know, is it a landscape truck? It, they just it's six axles um you know so i'm not sure why that i know the when the resident reached out to us it was specifically about um landscape trucks box trucks loud trucks trucks that make a lot of noise rattling around which is generally you know not a tractor trailer okay uh rachel um, well, that sort of answered my question. I guess my question was, do we know if these, and I'm, if they're not tractor trailers, it doesn't really relate, but do we know if the trucks are from industrial zones, warehouses that are in town, where we can reach out directly to the warehouses or are they coming, you know, are they coming from other places? I, I, I really don't know. I mean, I, I, I don't know. You know, there's the, the host of, uh, possibilities. Again, I've, I've been on the, we, we paved Rice Ave recently. Um, we've done some intersection work there, a lot of tree work up and down. I don't, I don't remember ever seeing a tractor trailer there. Um, landscape trucks up and down there constantly. Um, I don't really remember seeing, you know, some of the larger warehouse type traffic there. I'm not sure, uh, Chief, if you've had any issues there other than the tractor trailers. We, we went to a phase off. where trucks were trying to get around the Whitney Street exclusion coming off of Church Street. And some of them found their way down Howard Street and turned right onto Winter Street. 
and would turn left to access the far end of Whitney Street and were continuously damaging the rock wall to the people that uh, live on the corner. Um, I've spent a good amount of time with them. And um, some of these trucks can't make the turn, so they end up, their only option is to go straight on Bryce Ave. And that I've seen happen because they there's no exclusion there. So, um, and they, if they don't know what the GPS will take them out to Colburn street to barefoot road and where they can take a right, but there's a bridge restriction that, you know, was never there before, but uh, you know, that's something the state just kind of put up there about what, three years ago, Scott. Yep. Yep. With no notification to the town. No, we were, we were told by, uh, uh, I think it was one of your officers that called and said, Hey, by the way, Oh, thanks for letting me know. DOT. Which includes school buses, by the way. Yep. And plow trucks. <laughs> Is that all, Rachel? Yeah, that was it. I mean, I, okay. Yeah, that was it. I was just, because we, you know, with Amazon and we've had sort of direct conversations with them, so it might be something to consider for Barefoot Road as well. Yeah. And I think most of these studies, Scott, correct me if I'm wrong, you said that they count the axle. So they're not actually looking at the, right. you know, what type of truck it is, right? Or even a name on it. Correct. Yeah, you'll, uh, you'll see all the counts. When I send out the reports, you'll see all the counts. There's specific classifications for each vehicle. Okay. Um, Chris. Scott, do those um, reports also have like alternative routes laid out in them too? Or is that okay? okay. Yeah, okay. Yeah. Because no. that, like you said, you know, we want to see too, you know, how does it affect the surrounding neighborhoods? Because, you know, if you put a truck exclusion up one spot, you know, how is that going to, what's that recoil effect look like? Because, you know, it can do more damage than it does good. Right. Um, long run. Yeah, you end up chasing your tail with truck exclusions everywhere. And all of a sudden, all the trucks are dumped on one on Babcock. And uh oh, right. <laughs> that's, you know, that's not good. We'll just make the whole town a truck exclusion, so they just have to go right by on 495. <laughs> right. What's your 90? Somehow I don't see MassDOT approving that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, I mean, we have to I, I do it. have to head out. I apologize. Okay. Thank you, okay. Chief. I Thank appreciate you. your time. And feel free to email me or call if there's any questions that don't get resolved that should have come from me. Okay. Thank you. Thank you. Scott, and, I don't know, and I don't know if this is possible, too. It's just another thought. I mean, it, it could get a little bit tricky, but I guess any like slight geometric changes to the road that would kind of deter tractor trailers and 18 wheelers away from any of these roads, would that at all be possible? I know it's kind of tough, but it's just kind of like a thought, you know, kind of like a deterrent. Yeah, the easiest um, thing to implement there are um, lane narrowing. Uh, yeah. you know bring bring it when there's curbing you when you rebuild the road where you bring the curbing in tighter you put bump outs you just make it physically uncomfortable for a truck driver to go down it and that captures your repeat drivers um landscapers are still going to go there because they got to mow the guy's lawn um but you know when a track like we were saying earlier with rachel's uh, a question once a you know 53 foot uh tractor trailer drives down brigham street once they're never going again yeah Yeah, I, I will say I live in that area. I live about not that far from the, the bridge with the weight restriction. And 
I would say probably at least once or twice a week, I see a semi go down Whitney street, um, you know, towards that bridge, just, you know, not even looking at the, the weight restriction signs. Um, so, you know, I'm not even sure, you know, that, and, and this sort of goes back to the enforcement question, right? Is, you know, can we, we can enforce those, um, the, the heavy vehicle weight, um, vehicle exclusions, um, you know, but that we would need the help with the police department to be able to do that. Mm -hmm. So, um, okay. If there's nothing more on that, is there any public comment? Seeing nobody even, I don't see anyone in the attendees list at all. So, um, I know Scott, you did send out the invitation to all the the people who had originally put in these requests, correct? When we get the well, there's a there's because this is the first meeting. There's sort of two sets of requests, mm -hmm. ones that are kind of aging. These are the ones I'm discussing now. Um, okay. The more recent ones you see down the list, um, the horizontal geometry, the stop sign, those we responded and said, you know, this is bringing being put before the traffic safety committee for consideration. Um, you know, here's the here's the link to the web page. So okay. um, they've been made aware. Some of these other ones, I mean, like I said, it, it takes a year plus to get a uh, truck exclusion report done. So um, these have been in the works for a while. Okay, I, I appreciate that. Um, so why don't we discuss Lincoln Street? Okay, Lincoln Street. The uh, items C and D on the agenda are, can kind of be taken together. We mentioned Lincoln Street earlier. Um, it's a cut through. We know it is. Uh, we see a lot of truck traffic on it. Um, we've discussed it with some local contract yards and and, and um, vendors in town that do a lot of trucking. Um, we have good relationships with them. They've you know said yes. We'll tell our drivers. You know, go all the way down Church and use the um, the intersection at twenty. We maybe have that conversation every year or two with these three or four different uh, companies. They advise their drivers, um, but I don't, it's primarily not them. It's, I think it's the GPS coming off of 290, getting on 20 and vice versa. Um, it's got two schools on the roadway, as we know. It's a comfortable geometry. Um, Pleasant Street is not. Upper Pleasant has that very sharp horizontal curve um, that's difficult to navigate just in a, a, a couple pickup trucks or SUVs. It's certainly not a comfortable drive for a tractor trailer. Um, this would be a location that I would recommend doing traffic counts in 24 um, on Lincoln Street and Pleasant to capture what the numbers are and confirm that we meet the thresholds. Okay, so there's been no previous study done on this one? No. Okay. We can't do traffic counts in the winter. Right. It doesn't work good with plowing. <laughs> Uh, any comments from members? I, I have a, a question. Um, because Lincoln Street does have two schools on it, when we're looking at alternate routes, are there other factors that are taken into consideration, you know, because it's sort of a vulnerable area like that, or is it strictly a quantitative decision? It, it's purely analytical. 
Okay. It doesn't matter if it's a hospital, school, residential zone, or industrial zone. Um, it's just data driven. Okay. Thank you. Yep. Yeah. Uh, Brian. I'm going to ask a stupid question. What is the jig break restriction? Is that uh, strictly a noise thing, basically, or? Yes. Yep. That's a, a compression brake. It's actually pretty cool. It reverses the uh, operations of the valves in a diesel engine. So your intake valve turns into an exhaust valve and vice versa. Hmm. It's with the tractor trailer. When you hear that, that's a Jake brake. It's you're not allowed to say Jake brake. That's a um, it's a, a Jacob comp uh, engine brake, compression brake. It's a, a proprietary term. So now it's referred to as a compression brake or an engine brake. Jacob. Have that on uh, Bartlett Street. When you come off of uh, 20, you'll see a sign right there that says um, no engine braking. Is that something that, and I'm guessing that doesn't have the same number of restrictions on it that um, the heavy commercial vehicle exceptions do? Is oh, that it's totally locally driven. Uh, the town adopted, I forget what town meeting it was, Bill. Um, was it one of the outdoor ones? Yeah, I think it was the outdoor one, 2019 maybe. Yeah, it's one of, the, one of the COVID ones we had over at Algonquin. And then once it was adopted, the request goes into the uh, select board and they can um, enact that in the in the uh, local bylaws. Thank you. If this was to fail, um, if the committee uh, advises us to, to do the traffic counts on Lincoln Street, if it was to fail with the uh, the percentages and thresholds, then we could do a Jake break, uh, compression break exclusion. Right, because you don't need the compression brake if there's no heavy vehicles on the road. Okay. Um, you want me to do the to more, request the counts on, on Lincoln and uh, Pleasant? Um, I think for any of these, the we're going to leave the process right now as just, you know, we'll give it some time to, to think about it and maybe we'll bring them up in the next meeting. And that's okay. when we'll take our votes and, you know, make recommendations. If that's okay with everyone else. I, yeah, I agree. I'd like okay. to see the studies that Scott is going to send us. Right. Especially on the other two. Yeah. Yep. Okay. Uh, I guess the next one is school street sidewalk bridge condition. So um, on the small, on the short section of school street between uh, Brigham and Juniper Hill, um, Ju Juniper Brook in the back. There's a, a bridge that goes over um, the Hop, the, I think it's the Hop Brook. And that bridge has a sidewalk on it, as with a lot of Mass DOT bridges. When you put a bridge in, you put a sidewalk in, regardless of if there's a sidewalk on the beginning or the end of it. You just put the sidewalk in in case there's one in the future. That's the same case on Whitney Street underneath 290. There's a sidewalk on one side of Whitney Street, that doesn't go anywhere. Um, so that's the case here on this bridge. It's over by um, Ellsworth Tree Farm. And the recent Mass DOT bridge inspection found that the carrier beams for the sidewalk only, which are steel, um, the web is uh, rusted all the way through. So there is no, long, no more web. I-beam, the web is the middle, flanges are top and bottom. Um, so the middle part, which is kind of important, um, is gone. 
So they ordered us like literally in the field on the cell phone, on my cell phone saying, close the sidewalk. So we've closed the sidewalk. Um, there is no pedestrian access to it now. It didn't go anywhere or come from anywhere really um, as far as sidewalk connectivity. Um, but it is under the uh, mission statement of, you know, uh, pedestrian access in the community for this committee. So I wanted you to be aware that we have closed that sidewalk. Okay. And you said that there's no sidewalk on either side of that, right? Um, yes. And is that mass do is that mass DOT's responsibility to repair that going forward? Or is that ours? That's our bridge. That's the town's. Okay. Yep. One of the ones that the town owns. Yep. Of course, right? Yep. Mass yeah. DOT comes out and tells us when we have to fix it and orders us to fix it or close it. So right. um, the good news is the, um, uh, the vehicle portion of it is not steel beam. It's concrete beam and they're in good shape. Okay. Any is, questions? Uh, like, do a lot of people use it or? Not really. Um, you know, there's there's pedestrians. The, the resident who brought it to our attention uh, uses it. Um, well, she brought it to our attention after we close it, that we close it rapidly with barrels and cones. And we told her we're going to do it a little more, you know, aesthetically pleasing. Um, but for now, we have to close it. So pedestrians will use it so they don't have to walk between the um, the bridge rails because it's a narrow bridge, um, but it's a clear line of sight in both directions and it's not a, a high speed road. Um, nobody's speeding down there. It's not like it's, um, you know, Brigham where, where the double culverts are over the golf course where people are kind of, huh, you know, driving a little bit quicker. So I don't have a concern with pedestrian uh, going over the very short section of bridge. It's a clear line of sight. Kate. So with that, I think you kind of already answered my question, but I was wondering, is there any room that's not in the lane of travel for people to cross over the bridge? No. They're in the road. My guess is like if you're driving, you know, out of Juniper Brook neighborhood and um, you see a, a, a pickup truck coming the other way, you're probably going to brake and let that truck go over that bridge first and then go because it's pretty narrow. It's probably a 16 foot cross section at best. Um, to put it in perspective, a parking space is eight feet. So most people don't want to, you know, cross that bridge with two trucks at the same time. Um, and it's a very clear line of sight. You can see in both directions, wide open. Do we know what the cost would be to repair the sidewalk bridge? I don't know if we could without um, replacing the, the main bridge or doing some substantial geometric changes because they're connected. Okay. So we likely have to put a new bridge adjacent to the existing, build out the abutments, build out the approaches, and probably encroach on the river a bit. So it's anything's feasible because I'm a civil engineer, you throw enough money at it and I can do it. <laughs> but there's better places to put the money. <laughs> right. Yeah. Okay. Thank you. Um, Chris. That was that was part of my question as well as if there was a dollar value to it. And what about like uh, car traffic with the the tree farm? Is it? They don't get a lot of traffic, but their their access is before the bridge. Um, all their parking is on our side of the bridge or away from the neighborhood side of the bridge. Um, there is a utility 
that is underneath the sidewalk. We have a water main that goes and serves that entire neighborhood. Um, so we are looking into uh, a temporary gantry to get across the, the waterway to support um, the water main. In the, in the event that water main was to fail with the sidewalk, we can live without the sidewalk. That neighborhood would not, would, would not have any drinking water. Okay. But there's no way to fix the bridge without, or fix the, the sidewalk. And is there a requirement for us to have a sidewalk there? Because there's a bridge? No. Okay. Okay. Um, I guess next we go to uh, 264 Whitney Street sidewalk condition. So this is a common uh, topic that comes up with residents. And I, I put this on there just so uh, the committee could be aware of, of some of the requests and reports that come in. Um, it's a sidewalk on Whitney Street. Uh, if you're driving up and down Whitney Street, Bill, you might do that occasionally. Um, take, take a look at 264. The sidewalk, it's, it's, um, the sidewalk drops away from the road grade substantially. Um, it's uh, undulating due to roots, root growth, but it goes nowhere. It stops at somebody's driveway. It, right. it, it's, it starts nowhere and it goes nowhere. Um, is it something that can be fixed? Yes, we can cut, take down the road, take down the trees, cut out the roots, repave the sidewalk. Um, but again, it goes to somebody's, it doesn't even reach the driveway. There's like four feet of grass before you get to the driveway. So I just wanted the committee to be aware that, you know, we have these sidewalk conditions out there. Um, can they be corrected and addressed? Yes. Do they serve any uh, purpose for the for the community often no or occasionally no and that's the case here so just when you're up and down whitney street take a look at 264 you'll see what we're talking about the sidewalk yeah no i'll say that i have the same sidewalk in front of my house and um you know we actually a few of the neighbors here actually cleared them away um, cleared all the the overgrowth and everything but a few haven't and so it was interesting the other day, um, I was sitting and I, I looked out my front window and I saw somebody on a bicycle on a bike go down the sidewalk in front of my house, and then have to stop and grab his bike and walk up the hill to the roadway and then continue on on his bike because the house next to me actually built a a build out on their driveway that completely blocks the the sidewalk and they have not you know they're not one of the ones that un uncovered it. So um, they have the um, uh, like landscape timber wall that has a little parking space or something. Yes. Up top. Another yep. one. Yep. yep. So, um, but yeah, those are all over Whitney Street. Um, are those in any other area? I'm just curious. We have other locations. For a little while, the planning board was having um, businesses put sidewalks in along their frontages. Um, the hill top hillside grill. Yes. They have a sidewalk that goes nowhere. Yeah. Um, right. <laughs> they're, they're around, you know, it, it makes sense in some neighborhoods to, to have connectivity to an adjacent neighborhood. Um, it's just unfortunate when you see it just stop because putting in sidewalks is a, it's a complicated process. We have that as one of the topics on the traffic safety webpage on how challenging it is to put in sidewalks when it comes to drainage, utilities, easements, grading. Um, it, it's, it's not easy. 
Any other members? Okay. Um, Apple Fest Street Fair Accessibility. So we had a resident reach out with concern about um, wheelchair accessible accessibility to the street fair at Apple Fest. Apparently, there were some vendors who put up um, their their wares and their tables and whatnot along accessible routes. Um, a handicapped parking space was partly impeded upon by a vendor. Um, this this event, the street fair, is a private event. Um, it's held by a, a private entity, not the, not the town. Um, but you know, as as the committee, and, and these are these are just kind of FYI agenda items. You know, when you go to community events and you see um, things like somebody setting up a table at a wheelchair ramp, or you know, unloading their van and leaving the van next to the handicap space, the, those don't go unseen by residents who have that need. Um, so and I, I try to reach out to people and just educate them that, you know, it's not just wheelchairs, it's baby strollers, it's, you know, walkers, it's what have you, people with young kids who are learning how to walk. Um, so, you know, it came up and it, it went to the, went to the select board. It came to us and I informed them of this, but it's, it's part of the uh, accessibility and livability of the community. So I thought it would be good for the committee to be aware of it. Okay. Yeah, I know that they're trying to get more and more things downtown. So especially with the, the common there and everything else. So um, go ahead, Kate. So I know this is a private event, um, but is there something that can be done to notify um, whoever is managing this private event that that cannot happen? I mean, I yeah, think it's, it's extremely important that people who have extra needs, I'll say, have the same access as everybody else. Yeah, unfortunately, it's, it's usually in hindsight, you know, after the fact, you, I mean, I had mentioned it to this entity afterwards, just keep a look, keep an eye on your vendors. Um, but, you know, as a, a, in my community, I live in Grafton, in my community, when I see things like that happen, I'll walk up and say, hey, you mind yeah. scooch, scooching over here a little bit, um, politely. Um, and you guys are on the committee and you're you know, it's important that we're all knowledgeable about what the needs are and um, to try to better things for everybody. So, yeah, we let them know afterwards, though. So uh, those street fair sections where the vendors put their tents are all mapped out pretty significantly. I'm sure yeah. you know that. Yeah. And the no parking signs and those things. I know maybe up until the last few years where they... Um, didn't prefer such a police presence. I don't know if that has changed things, but um, I think it would just be important to maybe have access to that map and just make sure that it's something that we can be cognizant of ahead of time. Mm -hmm. And that's, um, that, that is town owned property, right? That they're using. It's just that it's not a town recreation item or town recreation apple fest right right yep so maybe even just informing them and in, you know in, in what we what what's sent to them uh as part of the permit process right please mm -hmm. don't you know set up your tents or, or wares or have your vendors set up in in accessibility spots 
That's a good point, Mr. Chairman. We um, they go before the board every year to close Blake Street for this event, as as does I think it's the um, community affairs for the tree lighting. So we can certainly add that to the select board's commentary. That would be great. Any other members? Okay. Um, the next one is Church Street Guardrail Request at Colby. So this one came uh, to us uh, from a resident um, and through the select board. If we've all driven on Church Street heading out of town, as you take that left horizontal curve on Church Street after Colby, just as you enter the curve, you see a utility pole staring right at you. Um, it's not a super elevated curve. It's normal crown, which means it's like this, not like that. So um, it pushes you toward that, that, that pole. That pole was taken out uh, a couple months ago, had a lot of impacts for, for you know, electrical and um, uh, communication. Uh, throughout uh, downtown. So mm -hmm. somebody asked, why don't we put a guardrail in front of it? Um, well, there's warrants that need to be met for guardrails. Uh, guardrails are uh, deflective, they're not preventive, meaning they're meant to bend um, and give. Um, they're not walls. So you need certain distance between the roadway edge, travel way, and the face of the guardrail. And then you need certain distance between the face of the guardrail and the obstruction. Uh, that pole is probably six inches from the pavement. Uh, so there's absolutely, and, there's, and th there's a sidewalk behind it. There's absolutely no room or geometric allowance to get a guardrail in front of that pole. Um, there are other requirements with um, isolated guardrails. They're dangerous. Having guardrails in one spot for one specific issue is dangerous because they're unexpected by drivers. Um, long guardrails for like roadside shoulder protections. Those are more uh, expected by drivers, um, but they have different end treatment requirements than this does. So again, this location, it won't fit a guardrail, but somebody asked and, you know, we can research, you know, federal highway, mass DOT. Um, there's a lot of uh, other requirements that need to be, but it won't fit here. Okay. Yeah, and I know from, you know, uh, an accident in front of my house back in June um, that a guardrail got taken out that it does it's not, they don't really stop vehicles, right? If a vehicle's heading for a guardrail, it's going to take out the guardrail. That's what it's for. Yeah. It's just to slow it down a little bit. Um, I, I guess I'll open it up to members first. Uh, go ahead, Brian. Um, Scott, what problem was the guardrail trying to solve this sounds like a stupid question is it hey drivers there's a thing here that you should avoid or people keep crashing into this pole we need to protect it from getting crashed into and taking out the power downtown it's it's the former hey driver don't hit the pole is it a, so is it a is it a nighttime issue could we put a bunch of reflectors on it no, it's just a, a, a geometric issue. You know, when, next time you're driving up Church Street, just kind of feel where your car goes. You know, when you're on a normal crown, 2% cross slope, take your hands off the wheel, you naturally, your car drives to the gutter. That's just what it does. 
because it's on a cross slope. That's what that curve is. And it naturally just, if you take your hands off the wheel, you're going to go right into that, right in that pole. Um, it's been hit several times. So I mean, we have advanced warning signs, a curve sign. Um, you know, we could put a reflector on it, but this was broad daylight. This was like eight yeah. in the morning. Somebody was going to work and just smacked into it. Yeah. Okay. Thank you. Rachel. Okay. I'm going to ask the stupid question. We can't move the pole. No, you can't. You can't. Move the pole. Okay. <laughs> Okay. So, poles, pole design is 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 odd. Um, Chris, you're familiar with it. You you move a utility pole two feet, and you you moving four other utility poles because they have to be dead on line. Otherwise, they need strain resistance and guy wires, and it's a and it's a, it's not easy. Yeah, it becomes very expensive, uh, and the domino effect of it is is amazing. What you can do, and there's different, um, you know transformers and, and stuff like that. Once you start getting into those, then it really becomes a, a major headache and a, a bit, it becomes a utility project with a roadway attached to it. Yep. Okay. Thank you. Yeah. And one of the things we've bounced around in the, the planning board a few times is, you know, requiring any new, um, like right now in any new subdivision, um, there are no poles right? All the wiring has to go in under the ground, right? And so trying to do that throughout the town, but that's a huge project. Um, you know, but it, it sort of prevents this as well. There's no pole to hit. And I think, um, like Scott said too, there's a lot of criteria that goes behind guardrail. Um, it's, it's not, it's not, a, a a system that you just hit and it, it, it sends you away. You know, it, it's there, it deflects, um, it breaks. And if it's too short of a run, it can be more of a hazard um, if nothing was there. Um, right. So there's a lot of different criteria that need to be met with it. Any other comment? Okay. Um... You know, another guardrail request for Crawford Street. So uh, we installed a guardrail recently on Crawford Street. Um, it was a replacement. So we have a lot of guardrail. A lot of communities have this guardrails that are non-compliant. Uh, planning board pre-existing non-conforming. Mm -hmm. um, they were put in a long time ago. Concrete posts, rebar, wire, uh, tension wire. They're deteriorated, almost non-existent. We have an inventory of all of our guardrails in town and their conditions and their materials. We can replace a pre-existing non-conforming guardrail with new guardrails without violating any rules or regulations. We're just replacing something with new, um, what we, which is what we did on Crawford Street. So there was an old guardrail there. We replaced it. Um, there are sections on Crawford Street that certainly warrant guardrail, um, you know, between um like on the on the on the west main street side as you approach the howard street uh the, the um Crawford street well there's a dcr property on the right hand side there's a significant slope right there absolutely warrants a guardrail there's no shoulder there's zero shoulder so you need to have a certain distance be between the travel lane and the face of guardrail so that pushes it off a, a few feet and then a few feet off 
the ground is about six feet down. So you need to build that shoulder out to have adequate support for the guardrail posts. When you build the shoulder out, you're encroaching on DCR land. You're encroaching on their floodplain. You're filling in a wetland. You're now going from a guardrail installation at 50 bucks a foot to an embankment construction project that requires Army Corps permitting um, and compensatory flood storage mitigation. So, you know, you drive around, you look, you say there should be a guardrail there, yes, but there are substantial needs in, to support a guardrail. Um, we've had a request there several times, got a lot of emails saying, thanks for the guardrail. Eh, didn't exactly put it where you wanted it, but <laughs> we put it up. It's there. <laughs> so there are needs. When you look at it, when you look at a, a, on Ridge Road, there's a lot of slopes uh, opposite the housing, up the, the residential side, and it's a narrow road and it's dangerous. There is an adequate shoulder there for guardrail. You, you, you know, when you see a state highway, you're driving on a state highway, um, Route 20, and you see guardrails, look at what the shoulder looks like there. There's a nice long, flat section of, of, of land, four to six feet wide, and then it slopes off. If we don't have that, you can't fit it. So, it's, again, this was more of a, you know, FYI, we did something, but this is why we can't do other things. Right. And you, did you say you had a list of you know, where you have guardrails and where they might need to be replaced? Yes. Every every other year, we have our um, pavement management consultant drive the entire town, update our pavement conditions. And every other year, we have them grab some other piece of data. Curb material condition, guardrail material condition, location, pavement markings, like whatever, just so we can build our database um, over the years. We did a guardrail inventory in 2016. Um, probably due for an update, um, but we have that, uh, all that data. It might be interesting to look at as well. Be happy to share it. Any other member comments? I just want to add that I think this conversation, for example, is really how this committee is going to benefit the town because I wonder how many people would drive by a place like that and say there should be a guardrail. But being able to understand what goes into that and why it's possible, or in that case, you know, in both situations, not possible, um, I think could help to alleviate a lot of concerns just with communication and, and understanding. So that helped me a lot. I didn't know anything about the guardrails and the shoulder. So thank you. Thank you. I hope it, it does. I certainly do. It becomes an issue. It's called the shy line. And I think a good example of it is that tree on Hudson Street. Um, when you're driving uh, towards Route 20, it, it's an object that's there. And it kind of makes you shy away from driving on your side of the road. And you see it a lot where people cross over the, the yellow center line and it kind of becomes... A safety hazard more than it did any benefit in, in this case guardrail right at the edge of the roadway yeah no kate and and i completely agree with what you're saying right you know this is a this is a learning experience um and, and have i think having you know scott's expertise out here in in the public realm um, explaining all this stuff to us, you know, we can we can refer back to this later, and and the public can refer back to this later and say, oh well, maybe that's why you know we can't do this here, or you know, oh we need more money. Well, maybe you know maybe we'll approve a little bit more money to get this this project done, 
right? And here's why. Yeah, 100%. I mean, I think before this committee, it was almost like what you did, Scott, was like this black box. You submitted a court request and you didn't always know the status or what was happening. So I think this being more transparent and more educational will hopefully help your job too. <laughs> Uh, oh, speed bumps. I know I see these going up in Sudbury all the time. Um, can, I, I, I got a feeling the speed bump conversation may be a little bit longer than the other two. Um, Mr. Chairman, do you mind if we cut the cut to the other two first sure. and get back? Yep. Um, um, so the Lyman Street horizontal curve. Yeah. So um, uh, uh, Del Webb was recently constructed over on Lyman Street in Westboro at the old state hospital, a very large 55 and older development. Um, a resident of that development reached out to uh, to us and asked for a um, a blind driveway sign or a sharp curve sign to be installed. They asked Westboro as well um, to install those signs. So uh, the proper process is you go out there, you determine what the speed limit is by the signage or by the area. Um, I believe in that area is one direction is 40, the other one's 35. Um, you go through the, uh, the green book, the Ashto Site Distance Book. Um, you see what movement are you doing when you're exiting? Are you going right? Are you going left? Which direction are you looking? And what length is required for clear line of sight in order to um, make that move safely? Um, so that's the process we go through. Um, went through it here. Doesn't doesn't warrant the uh, the signage. Doesn't warrant a blind drive sign or a sharp curve sign. Um, don't want to put up signs that are not legally warranted in accordance with um, ASHTO uh, or MUTCD. Uh, you end up with sign clutter and then you end up with liability issues because you're just falsely identifying hazards that don't exist. Um, so that's the process when people request signs. It's not a quick one. You know, it takes the two of us to go out there. You got to measure your distance. You got to stand at the stop bar where the eyesight, where the driver's seat is. You've got to go to the center of the lane. You've got to Chris, you're familiar with the process um, in order to determine adequate site distance. Um, Bill, you're familiar with site distances as well, obviously, on the, on the planning board. Um, standards, uh, uh, the site distance requirements are based on what the approaching speeds are, and what the movement is. Um, are you going straight across? Are you taking a left? Are you taking a right? And there are different distances depending on which direction you're looking in. And then there's also the distances for the drivers. Um, do they have adequate stopping distance? in order to, to stop or to slow. So there's a lot of speed, a lot of considerations when somebody just says, hey, can I have a sign? Right. Okay, thank you. Uh, Brian. Uh, thanks. How much did it miss by? That's a, um, mm -hmm. a lot. Oh, okay. Because if, yeah. if the speed limit is 45 and people are going 55, that's obviously going to change. Like, yeah, it's uh, my mistake. Yeah, we have 445 feet of sight line, and it requires a little over 300. So, good distance. That's a good, yeah. yeah. Thank yep. you. Yep. Right. No, I think that's important context. One of the issues with, with uh, sight distance now is, you know, you 
you look in the, in the left direction, it's a 35 mile an hour speed limit, and you need to have 335 feet of sight distance. Well, the Acura is coming at you at 58. So, you know, that's not that's not considered when we do our calculations it's based on people obeying the law. Right. Any other member comments? Okay. Um, let's see. Stop sign request at the row road. We Here's get these a lot. Um, Northgate neighborhood um, is is has frequent requests for this. Um, that's this case here. There are again warrants that um, are required to be met for a stop sign installation. Um, they're identified clearly in the MUTCD. Um, in this case, uh, it's not warranted. I can give you a uh, a brief summary of in general what those warrants are. You got to have a lot of traffic. You know, over six hundred. Uh, uh, average daily trips. Oh, I'm over 6,000. We're nowhere near there. You're not going to get anywhere near 6,000 in Northgate. Um, if there's a sight line issue, uh, line of sight you can't see, so you have to stop. Um, is there an obvious major and minor? Um, you know, Allen Street would be a minor, Hudson Street a major at that four-way. Um, or is it a frequent accident location? So that would be averted by um, a stop sign. So that would be a crossing accident, not not rear ends. Um, you'd have to have three in a year or five over two years. None of those criteria are met here. Stop uh, sign installation is under the jurisdiction of the board of, of the select board. Um, but you know, as a professional engineer, we make our recommendations based on hard data and rules and regulations, and that it does not it is not warranted. Okay, uh, Rachel. Um, those four-way stop signs in residential neighbors, uh, neighborhoods with no stop sign in either direction are so frustrating. And I don't, so I'm just sort of the voice of the resident here. If you're driving in a residential neighborhood and there's sort of a four-way intersection with no stop sign, I, I, I didn't grow up here. That's very new to me. Um, is this is that a mass DOT that's unique to Massachusetts because um, it just seems like a very proactive thing to put a couple stop signs in a residential neighborhood so people know to stop because I, I when I'm driving in a new neighborhood and I see and I see that I assume I have the right away and the other person's going to stop so anyway just just venting but um, it is it is a concern and I've when I was carpooling and running in different neighborhoods. We would, I would run across that a lot. And it concerns me, you know, as having kids that are new drivers and things like that, they may not automatically stop at, a, at an intersection like that if they don't see a stop sign. So just, just to vent publicly, sorry. <laughs> um, okay. Um, Brian. Just real quick to the last point. Um, I'm looking at the map real quick. I don't think Thoreau and Emerson is a four-way stop, is it? No. It to me like it's basically a glorified right turn with a little bit of dead end right past it. Yeah, it, it's a T intersection. We just paved both those roads. Okay. Um, and yeah, one of the one of the legs of the T just I think it serves like two houses or three houses. No. Thanks. Yep. 
Um, Kate. Yeah, um, I think Brian pretty much covered it, but I had taken a look at this intersection and I can definitely appreciate what Rachel is saying. And that's happened to me before in town as well. And I think that where it is a four way intersection and, you know, a study might have different results. This one in particular is, I would, I would be surprised if that had met the criteria because it really is just two houses. Okay. I'm sorry. I was, I was confusing you with another intersection in that neighborhood. So I apologize for venting with them oh. <laughs> for it's when it didn't apply. It can be confusing. So when these requests come in, um, similar to the site distance issue, we'll, we'll go out and look at it, um, determine the site distance. Obviously, we're familiar with the roads. Is there a major and a minor? Uh, we're familiar with what the approximate uh, traffic uh, load is. Is it, you know, is, we're nowhere near 6,000 ADT. Um, and then I reach out to the police department. So what are the accidents here? We have access to the, to, to the police department's access to, uh, accident database. And it tells you what what the accident is. Is it a rear ender? Is it somebody hitting a pole with in foul weather? Is it a crossing accident? And that would be a stop sign preventable accident, a crossing accident. Yeah, I mean that 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 whole neighborhood is actually filled with those type of intersections, right? I remember um, I'm looking it up on my map here. Um, Emerson and Longfellow. There's no stop sign there. Right. And so I, I've gone like four or five times down that and just wondered, you know, where's the stop? Now, I know that there's, you know, there's no other traffic coming because there's not a lot of traffic on those roads. But, you know, just the confusion of and I think up in Indian Meadow, there's probably a few of them up there as well. Yep. Um, so I think this this might be something that we may need to, you know, we, we may want to take a, a better look at at this um over some of the other items because i think you know confusing intersections just causes confusion right even even if it's even if there's limited traffic you know there still should be some type of signage to say you know these are the ones that stop and these are the ones that don't because like coming off coming off of emerson onto longfellow you don't know that longfellow is actually the one that goes across mm -hmm. Right, you have no idea that that's it. It looks like it's three streets coming into one big circle. Yeah, yeah, and, and I think a lot of you know, as as Scott outlined, there's a lot of uh, standards that that do need to be met because you know someone is putting their license as um, there when they are directing someone to put any type of traffic control um, down. So it, it does become a liability issue too, in the same sense. Yeah, but I, I, I mean, this, especially in this issue, right? So Emerson coming down, you know that Emerson is where you're supposed to stop, coming onto Longfellow, right? But there's nothing telling you that. that even even the configuration of the roadway doesn't tell you that, right? So you know, there's got to be some way for us to look at that as well. If there isn't, there isn't. But I think that a little bit more investigation on, on, from that point of view. We'll look. We'll look through the um, MUTCD. Uh, manual and and see if there's flexibility in there. Uh, Chris is right. You know, if we if if the recommendation comes from a professional engineer indicating that, you know, you should put a stop sign here and it doesn't meet the warrant and there's a rear end accident there and somebody gets hurt, that could be a very substantial problem for 
whoever recommended that and if, right. if it's not warranted. Yeah, but I think I would think the reverse would be true as well. If there is an accident because there was no stop sign there, then, you know, the town may be liable for not putting a stop sign. Right. So I would be concerned of, of the other end of that as well. So you're but saying can, like if the study was done and they recommended the stop sign, but there was no stop sign put in. No, even even if we say we don't need a stop sign there. Right. And there's an accident. And it's caused by not having a stop sign and, and the person, let's say Emerson and Longfellow, right? Somebody comes down Emerson, there's no stop sign, so there's nothing that says that they have to stop and they run into somebody going along Longfellow, right? Um, you know, who, whose fault is it? There's nothing that says that that person needs to stop. There's nothing telling that vehicle. It's sort of like having a four-way intersection with four green lights, right? You're, you're relying on the driver at the driver's decision to know which one they have to stop at. So at the same time, I think the town would have a defense in that hypothetical to point to the regulations and say, look, we did our due diligence. We looked at the regulations. The regulation said we don't need a stop sign there. Right. I, I completely agree. We would probably be exonerated in the end, but you know, you still have that, that, you know, somebody got hurt. Now that we're talking yeah. about Emerson and Longfellow, we should probably consider looking into that a little further. I'll, we'll look through the uh, MUTCD manual and see um, the, what the way that manual is written is it, it has um, requirements and then it has recommendations and it has um, portions of it indicating judgment so um, we'll take a look at it and see see what there is Get, okay we'll talk to the next one thank you yep. yeah i just pulled it up on google maps and there's a lot of pavement there yeah exactly and so without a stop sign it's real confusing when you come down there right when you come down emerson it's it's a big circle is really what it is so i mean maybe that maybe it needs to be redesigned i don't know you know, maybe that's part of it, but. You probably right. fit a little mini roundabout in there, right, Scott? Oh, yeah. Oh. <laughs> a vegetated <laughs> island. At, at a rotary, yeah. Yeah. Massachusetts loves rotaries. Yep. <laughs> Who doesn't love green space if it's veggies? Yeah. yeah. Um, okay, so now we can go back to the speed bumps. Yep. So we've re received requests for um, consideration of speed bumps speed humps, speed tables. Uh, quickly, speed bump is the type of thing you see in a par in a parking lot of the supermarket. A speed hump is something you'd see on a uh, maybe a neighborhood road or an access road that goes between two shopping centers. They're wider. They're generally 10, 12, 14 feet wide. Um, and then speed tables, which a speed table can accommodate um, both axles of, of a vehicle. So that's, in general terms, what the three components are. Uh, <clears throat> speed humps um, and tables are the only things that would actually be of, of uh, uh, an option on a, on a public way, speed bumps or not. Um, there are criteria for uh, installation of speed humps. Uh, in general terms, the goal of a speed hump is to mitigate traffic down to a speed of 15 to 25 miles an hour. 
So the only locations in general that they're used is where it, the posted speed limit is 25. You'll see some in 30 mile an hour. You'll see, you'll see speed humps put in places they absolutely do not belong. You know, some towns will just do what they want, where they want, when they want. Um, other towns have, have things well thought out. You go through Cambridge, you go around the parks and the schools. Most of their crosswalks are speed tables. You know, they're elevated. Both axles fit on it. It's a very comfortable drive, but you're going down a 16-foot wide road with granite curbing on both sides and, you know, 100-year oaks. You're not going over 20 miles an hour. Um, but we've had requests for these. Some of the concerns that uh, we've considered are, one, snow removal. Um, it's very uncomfortable for, for plowing. It's problematic for the equipment. It, it beats up the equipment, literally. Um, another concern is is regarding emergency routing. Um, you would not want to put a speed table on a uh, emergency uh, egress route from a uh, from a neighborhood. Um, public safety generally is not uh, too fond of these. If there's an ambulance uh, getting to your house due to an emergency, um, having that ambulance decelerate to 15 miles an hour all the way through your neighborhood to get to your house is probably not what you want. Um, it is very loud. Uh, speed tables are very loud. Speed humps are very loud. We talked about the sound of landscape trucks uh, with their trailers bouncing down the road um, when we we're talking about Rice Ave. These are very loud. Any 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 equipment in the back of a truck or a dump truck, um, not necessarily a tractor trailer, but a dump truck that makes a lot of noise when it goes over these. Um, so putting them in residential areas is 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 difficult. Um, they also introduce a drainage issue. If you have a wide roadway. Um, and you can get a speed hump in there and still have clear gutter space for water for uh, drainage to run through. That's that works. If it's a country road where um, the stormwater runs right off the shoulder, that works. Um, if it's narrow and you've got curbs, you don't have enough room to get drainage through. Um, so there's a lot of different things to think about, um, and it's beyond the engineering piece as a policy decision associated with it. I think. Okay, thank you, um, Chris. Thanks. Um, I've seen this a lot in neighborhoods in Worcester too. They're almost like de um, temporary ones that kind of have built-in little notches for drainage. Is that something we might be able to consider in in some of these areas? I know you know in every area is not uh, applicable, but um, you know that way. I feel like typically these issues with speeding vehicles are typically in the warmer months versus um, I know there are some crazy people in the, in the winter months, but it's typically seen in the winter months, you know, I mean, in the summer months, excuse me, where um, a lot more people out and about driving better weather and, and different things. Um, is that something, you know, we could consider because it can be taken out during the winter months when um, things may not be as hectic or there's a, you know, there's an impending snowstorm. It would it it you know implementation of something like this would it would probably warrant uh, a pilot program in the event um, this committee and the select board uh, were in favor of trying something um, something such as what Chris suggested you put in some temporary ones that can be removed um, see how it works operationally see if it helps out with the traffic concerns for example this one's on Winter Street 
we would have put them on Winter Street, and every truck that goes down there drives the neighbors crazy because everything's rattling around. It's not a permanent installation. We didn't do any damage to the road. It wasn't a substantial cost. Um, there are other traffic calming measures at other roadways that could be done. Uh, you know, bump outs with tree with tree plantings um, that aren't pleasant for plowing either. But um, it's another traffic calming mechanism. We were talking earlier about how you generally drive slow when you see things narrow. Um, there are other mechanisms for traffic calming, but you know, I'm I'm in favor of trying a pilot. Uh, test uh, to see if things will will work out. I think it'd be good to identify some areas where we could pilot those and um, see, you know, how it does from from that traffic calming standpoint. Mm. I can't believe people speed on winter. I mean, that, that's like a driveway. You got common drives, Bill, the plane boy that are wider than Winter Street. Yeah. Now I see it on Howard as well. Mm. Right, going, you know. That back road up, um, or the back way up by Howard. Okay. Um, any other member comments? Thank you, Chris. Okay. That's our list um, as it is right now. Um, what I would say is, you know, we definitely want to start pointing people towards these meetings. So I know, you know, once this meeting is posted, I'm going to put it out on social media, um, encourage everyone to, to do the same and sort of, let's see if we can start getting people to, you know, review this stuff and, you know, we can make some really smart decisions for the town. Um, with that being said, um, Scott, there was there's a item here for the traffic safety web page. Yep, I, we talked about um, modifications to the web page a little bit. I believe the first meeting, um, some uh, committee members weren't fully versed on what the web page has. I did um, confirm with uh, Megan. We did some email testing with it, right? Yes. Yep. So all the emails are coming to. Um, you and I, and I think the police department as well. Okay, so before there was like a, a if you picked the traffic enforcement one, it only went to PD. If you picked like a crosswalk concern, it only went to us. It now goes to both. Um, and again, we're we'll continue updating it on <laughs> new topics that come up. You'll see some of the dates of the inquiries are old because there's only so many times I can post how you get a truck exclusion. Um, it's on there. The dead, the, the information doesn't change. So we'll, we'll respond to residents with that data and direct them to the page. So, um, going forward, we'll continue to direct them to the page for information and for submissions and also indicate that this committee, um, is, is active and be aware that here is a link to, you know, the committee as well. Okay. Um, Rachel. Um, so the um, the list of items on the agenda, were they all submitted through the web form or did people call you or email you directly? Are people using that to submit their requests or are they doing it other ways? All over. Uh, some people just go right to the DPW page and hit the DPW uh, email link. Um, others drill into the traffic safety page. Others we've communicated in the past. They sent it to the DPW email directly. I've got relationships with a lot of the residents. They email me directly. 
Um, some go through the select board. Some go to the, to the town administrator's office, the planner. Um, planning board gets some, and then they come to me. So you know, anybody that, that is at northpro.ma.us is open and, and, and uh, receiving these things. Okay. But we have been keeping track of everything um, since the last meeting and keeping, you know, as much as we can, like their contact information, letting them know that we're going to be putting it on the agenda and that, you know, their, their comments are going to be, you know, brought before the committee and then that we would get back to them with, you know, one way or the, one way or another. So. Thank you. Um, Brian. Nope. We're good. You're good. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> uh, Kate. Oh, um, should we be encouraging people to uh, um, participate in the meeting, attend the meeting, if they're submitting certain requests? That's part one of my question. We let them know that um, it'll be on the agenda for the for the meeting. Um, we don't have the um, the bandwidth to follow up with every single resident who reaches out to us to remind them, hey, the meeting is coming up. We let them know it's going to be on the Traffic Safety Committee meeting. They meet the second Tuesday of every month. It'll be on the agenda. If it's important to them, they'll attend. Um, I encourage them to go to the Traffic, Safe, the Traffic Safety webpage. It's a lot of information there. Rachel, you're, you're, were, you were involved when we first launched that page. Um, so there's a lot of this information is there. Um, sidewalk request. There's a bunch of information about sidewalk requests. Same thing with the, the stop signs and truck exclusions. Okay. The other thing I was curious is if um, there are a lot of posts on Facebook in the Northboro groups about different things. Well, they're always encouraged to go to the traffic safety website. Mitch does a great job of responding to literally everything I've ever seen on a Northboro page with like the precise educational information for the person. If we see something like that, should we let you know and we can add it to the agenda? Or should we just be telling that person, hey, you should go to the website and director. I would suggest you direct them to the website. Yeah, I, I we don't engage um, by by you know we don't engage in the social media platform. It it, it can turn into a, a a wormhole that doesn't lend itself to productivity yeah. on the job. Um, so yeah, if it's if if it's a, if it's critical to them, there's a lot of information on the web page. They get it to us. We respond quickly. Um, we got your email. Thank you. If it's an easy response, that that. Can be gotten back to quickly we do if it, it warrants uh, the agenda we let them know um that that would be the best way to communicate okay yeah and, and i i would highly agree with that right um you know we should be pointing them to um, the dpw site um scott what i'd like to do is i know we have a town site now which has you know our agenda listed our calendar and everything else i'd like to get you know some uh, our uh, our mission statement that we had come up with um mm -hmm. up there and then you know put all of the individual all of the links to the to your dpw site um including for submittals okay 
so that way you know we can direct them as committee members we can get direct them to our committee site which then yep. would you know they could forward off to wherever they need to go from there um, okay. go ahead brian okay now i have a real question um i from my experience with facebook groups in the past and social media generally my guess is that a lot of the concerns being raised uh tend to be repetitive and probably have been addressed on the 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 rather extensive <laughs> uh dpw page and in fact so extensive i'm wondering if we could make it uh put some sort of map so that people could look at an intersection and be and say oh i wish there was a oh we someone asked about a guardrail here already so i will speak to you know a couple of things that we got this week were actually things that had already been addressed and it was easy to just kind of forward the um the response that we already had and then send them to the web page and i think that's the same for some of the things that come up in the facebook page as well which is why it would be important to um, you know, direct them directly to us so that we can either inform them or make the decision to add it to the agenda if we think that it's, you know, something that's new and needs to be brought up to the committee. Right. And I suspect that we have enough of a backlog of these types of requests that we're not going to be uh, desperately reaching out to <laughs> other people for new new stuff. Right. We'll, we'll load you up. Don't worry. Yeah. <laughs> anyway. Well, and I will say, Brian, to that comment, right? Um, you know, one of the items, uh, in fact, the next item is public comment, right? So that's for any items that weren't on the agenda. Right. Um, we do sort of want to limit those because, again, we're trying to limit, we, we don't want so many things on the agenda that we're going to, you know, I've done planning board meetings until, you know, midnight, right? Mm -hmm. It's not fun. And okay. so, you know, starting a meeting at 630 and going till midnight is not something that we want to get in the habit of doing. So we do sort of want to limit, you know, how many per meeting we go through. But that's going to be a learning, you know, thing for us. We've, we've got to determine how many we can get through in a, in a single meeting. Maybe we need to do two, two a month for a little while until we get, you know, through, you know, um, you know what the town, what the town needs. So, um, Rachel. Um, so to Kate's point about the Facebook posts, a lot of the um, posts that have been coming up, and, and Kate actually posted something about um, a traffic study on Route 20 that was very um, educational for me, and I'm sure people that were reading the post. A lot of people have issues with Route 20, the um, Lincoln Street and Route 20, and where Whitecliffs is with Maple Brigham and Route 20. And so... I know the sort of road answer is it's a state highway. We don't have a lot of control over it. Are there things that we can be doing for those sort of troublesome intersections or do we really have no control over it because it's a state highway? Can we, you know, ask the state to just, you know, get the ball rolling in terms of, you know, improvements on those intersections? What's the process for that? We've received uh, inquiries about Lincoln Street and uh, Chesterfield and, um, excuse me, West Main Street um, several times. Uh, the same answer has always been given back to us from DOT. No, it uh, doesn't warrant it. They look through the analysis, very similar to the analysis that we've described here tonight, 
but DOT does it with their own data. Um, and there's really no wavering there. Um, the crosswalk over by White Cliffs, that's been a, a topic uh, for many years about getting some additional protective measures there. That answer has always been no. Um, they look through the data and see that it's not um, a high crash zone. There's no um, um, warrant or, or for, for additional protective measures there. We ask every few years, uh, get the same answer. I know the uh, intersection, the, the um, uh, was it the Highway Safety Improvement Program for uh, hazardous intersections has specific data and criteria uh, to be met for the state to consider reconfiguring. Um, Brigham, Maple, and Route and Route uh, Main Street Route Twenty have not met that yet. Um, <laughs> it's a terrible intersection. It absolutely is. Um, they have Master T has their list and they they update it on an annual I think. Chris the uh, Bartlett and um, Bartlett and Main Street was on it for a couple of years. Rachel, you remember when we did the um, yep yep uh, the roadway safety audit? When we started the audit, it was on it. By the time the audit was done, it was off. Then when you look at that yeah. intersection, the crash data, almost all of it was solar glare rear ends. It was very little turning movement accidents. It was mostly people. In the morning on Route 20, heading east, bumping into each other from solar glare. Um, just what it was. So we can request DOT repeatedly to look at things, and they do the same thing we do. They they go through the data, and if it's not supported, it's it's no. Um, we've had residents reach out to the legislative uh, our legislative bodies here, um, both in the Senate and uh, uh, the House asking for help and they falls on dead ears as well. Okay, good to know. <laughs> Not the answer Sorry. I wanted, but I get it. <laughs> Sorry, hit the no button again. <laughs> no, I know. <laughs> Go ahead, uh, Chris. Thanks. Uh, Brian, to, to your point, I think it's Westboro has a really cool interactive map. Um, that now I'm going to want it. <laughs> it, it, it's cool, but um, again, it costs money because there's probably a, a consultant that needs to come on board, maintain it, and put it all together. Um, but it is pretty cool to take a look at. So um, it's something that I've definitely brought up. I think I brought it up when we were doing the study um, for that. And then the second part, um, Scott, is there anything, I guess, from your standpoint that the committee can do as far as funding mechanisms between, um, you know, the different programs that the DOT has that we can help alleviate some of the pressure off of uh, you and Megan? No, uh, getting getting projects on the tip is a, a, a lifelong experience. Um, you know, one of the challenges of the traffic uh, improvement program, one of the challenges with that is the, uh, the design survey and uh, land takings are, are all funded uh, locally before the state comes in and funds the construction. And um, now, and Chris, you're familiar with now when you're on the, when you try to get on the tip, there needs to be some other component other than just, I want this road better. There needs to be some economic development. There needs to be some safety protocols. There needs to be some connectivity, uh, green to something that gives it a few extra check boxes taken care of. Um, you know, spreading the word, this committee spreading the word about and educating the residents through Facebook about our webpage and generally what we discussed and what we continue to discuss as we go forward is a huge help. 
Um, you know, we say the same thing frequently um, because the same requests come up and you reevaluate different locations, but it's still the same analysis. I wish there was a way to get DOT to fix Maple and Brigham and Maine. I, I, I just can't. I mean, I, I like I would like them to, to square up Chesterfield and Lincoln and put a actual traffic signal there. Oh, oh, yeah. Instead they of the won't. Korean one, no. Yeah, they, they just won't. won't. So I, as I, Chris, maybe you can get it going for us. <laughs> not probably not until they do something. With, they touch Route Twenty is then then they'll look at every intersection along the way, and and they'll fix them while they're there. But a one-off project is is very very difficult. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Any other member comments on this? I guess we'll move on to public comment. I don't think there's anyone from the public in the meeting. Um, so we will be, but we will be opening those up um, going forward. So again, if you're listening to this on the YouTube or something like that after the fact, um, we, you know, highly encourage you to, to come to the meetings and um, sit in and, you know, this is a learning process for all of us. So um, I would appreciate that. I think our next meeting we have scheduled is, hold my calendar real quick here, December 12th Yep. Um, at 6.30. Does that time still work for everybody? Sure. Okay. Um, I guess at this point, I will take a motion to adjourn. Before we do, real quick, yep. Scott, you mentioned a number of uh, a number of reports and things. Can you send those out to everybody? Yep, I'm going to be sending out the um, commercial vehicle exclusion reports that were done for Summer Street, Rice Ave. I'll also be sending out the guardrail spreadsheet. Um, I'll remind you that it's from 2016 and needs to be updated with uh, more current data. Um, I'm going to look into adding links on the Traffic Safety Committee's website to the DPW's um, traffic safety page. I'm uh, going to do a little bit of a deeper dive into the MUTCD on stop sign warrants. And uh, just for fun, I'm going to look at Westboro's mapping. <laughs> Thank you. Kate, did you have something else or? No. You're good? Okay. Um, do I have a motion to adjourn? So moved, Mr. Chair. Is there a second? Second. Okay. Uh, roll call vote. Uh, Rachel. Aye. Kate. Aye. Chris. Aye. Brian. Aye. And I'm an I. Thank you, everyone. Have a good night and have a happy Thanksgiving. <laughs>